to know where to pitch a talk at a, a festival just because there are so many different levels. But I hadn't banked on Dylan being here, so <laughs> now they've gone downstairs, I can drop the nursery rhymes. <laughs> okay. So I want to start my talk with a poem. The Sunflower's Farewell. Aloft on its tall stalk, the sunflower hangs, as though half weary. Harvest long since reaped, it sees beyond the ivied crumbling wall, blue vaulted stubble in faint sunlight steeped. Aloft on its dry stalk, the sunflower hangs in silence. In the west, the round red sun the yellow petals once its glory wilt, its seed is ready and its work is done. So that's a poem by Sangharakshita which I saw quite a few times online after Sangharakshita died. Uh, and I think it's a, a really beautiful poem. It, uh, I think for me just really captured something of the, the mood of the, the past few weeks after, after Banti died. Um, there's this real autumnal feel to it. Uh, I thought it was quite significant that Banty died in autumn, it felt very fitting. Um, so yeah, there's something of that poem that just really captures something of the past few weeks. Um, and it has been an extraordinary few weeks, I think, for our community. Um, you know, we've not, obviously, never been through something like that before, you know, the death of our teacher. Um, you know, my sense is the tectonic plates of the tree rat in the community are s sort of shifting around, you know, in, in some way. That's been my, my sense over the past few weeks. And for me, like many involved in Buddhist centres and retreat centres in Tree Ratna, the past few weeks have just been a really busy time. Uh, I think we're all a little sort of exhausted in a way. <laughs> Uh, just because, you know, there was so much to sort of organise in terms of remembrance sort of ceremonies and uh, sessions that we, we held here and trips to the funeral and things like that. So for me, yeah, it's been a very full-on, very intense uh, time, both organisationally and emotionally. And one thing that I was quite aware of during the, uh, the period after Banti died was that I was giving this talk on Sangha Day um, and I was starting to feel quite anxious about giving this talk. I think partly because the sort of time I'd set aside to write the talk had, which was just eaten up with organising different things like helping to organise coaches and uh, you know sessions in, in this shrine room. But I think the other reason why I felt quite anxious is that I'd I'd, pla I'd been planning since the summer what I was going to say in the talk, so I had quite definite ideas of what, what I wanted to say. But it was like suddenly those ideas just didn't quite fit uh, with the mood of the, of the moment. Um, yeah, it didn't feel quite right for us as a community to say what I was intending to say. So a couple of weeks ago I was finally able to carve out three full days at home to write the talk. I sort of sat down in front of the computer and started to plough on with um, 
with the things that I'd originally intended to say and then just hit a brick wall straight away. I was on the phone to Aksha Shraddha several times, I was emailing Sam constantly. Um, you know, the amount of sort of procrastination that went on during those three, it sort of lasted the whole three days actually, it's just like I didn't know what to write, didn't know what to say. Um, the amount of things I watched on YouTube, Miraculously, I sort of made my way through the first season of Bates Motel. I don't know how I did that in that period and tried to write a talk at the same time. Um, but yeah, I felt at a loss of what, what to say and what was right for this moment. And I think the death of some, someone significant um, can do that, can't it? It can sort of pull the rug from under your feet and that's, I think that's how I felt. Um, it sort of forces you to... I think look at what's essential um, and I think that was that was really what was going on for me uh, I felt I needed to sort of just cut through everything and just get to the heart of what I felt and thought was going on so my original talk I was gonna if you look on the website I, my original talk was uh, gonna be based on sort of telling some stories really to and stories that might help us to practice as a Sangha and to practice friendship. Uh, you know, it was all good stuff. I think, I think it's got the makings of a good talk at some point. Um, but what I felt in touch with more, I think, just felt small, well, I say smaller, but I think it's sort of quieter, something more autumnal. That's what I felt more in touch with. So really all I want to do t today is just tell I suppose just tell some of the experiences that I've had over the past few weeks and some of the things that I've both taken part in or read on the internet or watched on the internet. But, you know, I'm going to be telling you some of the things I watched on YouTube instead of writing the talk. But I think they, they sort of point, well for me they point us towards what Bante's death, yeah what, what Bante's death is sort of pointing us more towards. And I think once I started to think about that, I realised that I was still telling stories. I still, there were still st stories that I wanted to tell. And I suppose I do feel like Bante's death is, is a, a really important story for us as a, as a community. You know, it's, uh, it's a story that we'll sort of probably keep telling in, in our different ways. It's a defining moment for us in Tree Ratna. You know, it's the death of our founder, the death of our root teacher. So it's a big story, like a momentous event in, in the history of Tree Ratna. Yeah, and I think similar to experiences of death that I've ex experienced in the past, it was like I had to keep telling the story, I had to keep sort of reminding myself of the story. I think that's why I ended up looking at sort of videos of, of the funeral on YouTube or of Bantu's body coming back to Adistana or reading messages. It was like I had to keep reminding myself of what was going on, of the story that was going on. So this is very much my personal response and I know, I think my response to Bantu's death has been fairly straightforward in a way and I know for some people it might not be as straightforward or um, people will just have different responses and I think that's part of what I've been trying to make sense of in the past few weeks is that I've seen lots of different responses. Um, yeah, so this is my personal response. Um, 
But in spite of all those differences in terms of how people have responded to Banty's death, I think there's one thing that's just really shone through for me. And that's that I've just heard people say time and time again just how appreciative they feel of what Banty has given us and how much gratitude they feel. Um, and my sense is that appreciation is for two things really. I think people are really appreciative of all the teachings that he's given us. You know, Banty gave us so much. There are so many books, so many lectures, so many seminars, memoirs, poetry. There's so much for us to refer to and to sort of go back to and try and understand in a deeper way. And I think that also includes sort of the meetings people had with him. It's amazing to think that I think in the past year Banty met 400 people. And I was really pleased that there's quite a few people in our Sangha who have met him over the past year, including myself. I met him five weeks before he died, which I'll say a bit more about at the end of the talk. And then secondly, I think what people were really appreciative of and felt a lot of gratitude for was our Sangha. So that really, really started to shine through, I think. Um, there was, the, there was something that he'd set in motion that was now very, very tangible and was really bearing fruit in our experience of each other, of our coming together around his death. Uh, for me, th these two aspects, I think, were summed up beautifully by a tribute message by a senior order member called Mokshananda, who's a member of the College of Public Preceptors. He's a colleague of Dianandi over there in, at the, on the college. And he wrote on the Buddhist Centre Online, he just put this sort of short little passage in tribute to Sangharachita, which just, I think for me, it just felt like it put into words a lot of what I was feeling. So he said, You opened up the meaning of what it is to be human, vast horizons of possibility. I will be forever grateful for the beauty of the vision that you shared with us. You showed us by example that it is possible to live from Shraddha and gave us the teachings, practices, inspiration and means to do that. Above all, perhaps, you gave us the courage. I am forever grateful and bow deep to you for the life you led as I follow the same ancient path. Because of you, I know Sangha and have so many good friends with whom I share so much that is of meaning and of value. It is a great source of happiness for me and I thank you for having been a friend of friends. I rejoice in you and your life. You are forever in my heart. Now I will do my best, along with so many others, to keep alive the mysterious and indefinable spirit of Dharma that thanks to you lives on in our order. So yeah, just really, I think, sum something up that. But I was particularly struck by what Mokshananda said about Sangha. Um, and I think, I think talking with people, I think the sense I got was that um, you know, people so, felt so appreciative, I think, of the context that they had to sort of engage with Sangharachita's death and to come together. Um, and we're really appreciative that Banti had, had taught very strongly that we need a community to practice within. 
And it was almost as if they were grateful for something that was beyond Sangharachita, was beyond his personality. Uh, and was you know, more to do with the whole context you know, that we, were, we sort of found ourselves in. Um, and the friendships that have arisen over the years for, for many of us. So, you know, I think it's important to remind ourselves that without Bante, we wouldn't have, we, we wouldn't be here on Sangha Day, we wouldn't be here in this room altogether, we wouldn't have the friendships that we've got with each other. You know, Bante, Bante gave us that. And I think Bante knew very deeply from his own experience how hard it is to practice. If you, if you sort of... I think listen more deeply to what Sangharachita has said. I've sort of noticed this over the past couple of years. I think you see time and time again that Bhante reminds us that practicing the Dharma is really difficult, that we're really up against it. You know, he's, he's, he sort of reminds us again and again how difficult it is to practice. And I think he knew very deeply the sort of determination and courage we need to practice the Dharma. And I think probably he felt alone for much of his life in various ways. You know, you get a sense of that in, in the early days after he sort of left his army and tore up his passport. There's this sort of very dogged sort of search for a, a Buddhist teacher. And he just meets Hindu teacher after Hindu teacher and not any Buddhist teachers. So there's this sort of determination that keeps, keeps him going. But he's very much on his own. And I suspect he probably felt that in different ways throughout his life. So you get that sense that he knows that, he, he, he knew how difficult it is to practice, but he also knew how important the support of Sangha is for us. One of the things that I felt really appreciative of after Bhante's death was Clear Vision. So we've got a picture prayer from Clear Vision. I don't think there's any other members of Clear Vision here. But Clear Vision were just great at sort of producing these very short little tributes to Bhante, really beautiful sort of two, three minute films of uh, just images and, and sort of sound from Bhante's life and just really gave a sense of the, uh, yeah, the sort of, um, um, you know, the life that Bhante had led. But in one of those videos, I was really struck that you hear Bhante say, some people would like to think that the spiritual life is very easy. This has certainly not been my experience. I think I've probably found it a little bit more easy than some other people I know, but it certainly hasn't been really easy at all. There have been difficulties at every step. And I was just really struck by hearing him say that. Like I say, you know, I've read that he's been telling me that to practice the Dharma life is difficult, but I'd never heard him say it so personally. Um, yeah, so I got more of a sense of just how difficult it is to be a teacher, how difficult it is uh, to start a new Buddhist movement from just that little clip in that Clear Vision video. And I think Bhante felt very fortunate uh, to have the friends that he had. And I think particularly the friends who cared for him in the last years of his life. Again, in my sort of YouTube watching moments, there's this video... Um, of Bhante's body returning to Adhisthana and being greeted by uh, about 60 people who were there at Adhisthana. Artavardin was part of that, I think. 
Um, and Sadan Andy, who's the chair of Adistana, just talks to, to the people who are gathered there as, as Bhante's body arrives back. And she says uh, in this video that Bhante was continuously very appreciative of the guys who served him. He knew very keenly that his happiness and his well-being were supported greatly by these guys. So there were like this core group, I think, of about four or five men who just cared for Banti, who nursed him, who enabled him to continue meeting with people over the last years of his life. Um, you know, who helped him to write some of the things that he's written in the past couple of years. You know, he dictated those things to, to some of these guys. And he was very, very appreciative of them. And I was really moved uh, by an email that was sent out after his death that describes how four of those men were with Banty as he died by his bedside. So I'll just read from that email. So shortly for, before Banti's death, Paramartha, Suvadra, Yashadeva and Sangadasa were present with him in a single room in the hospital. The atmosphere was very still despite the usual sounds of busy hospital life all around. Banti was no longer able to communicate. However, there was a sense that he was in an aware state. Paramartha put Banti's mala into his hand, which on leaving Adhisthana for the hospital, Banti had asked to have with him. When it was obvi obvious that he was close to death, Paramartha and Sangadasa put Banti's golden case around his neck, and very soon after that he died peacefully. After Banti died, the four who were with him sat in silence, and then Paramartha led a sevenfold puja with readings from the root verses of the Bardo Tadal. They left his body undisturbed for several hours whilst meditating with him. It was both very sad and very joyful. So you get that a really powerful image, I think, of the care of those guys and the devotion of those guys for their teacher. But also, I think, of this sense of this sort of small sang of this small community who were supporting this man in his final moments. As I say, this is very moving vi video of Banti's body returning to Adistana, and you see that care continue in that video. So again, four of those men who cared for him carry his body from the hearse down to the shrine room, and they, they are going to prepare his body to be laid out in the vigil that took place in the week leading up to Banti's funeral. So they're going to take, it to the, take him to the shrine room to dress him in his robes and prepare him to be viewed. And yeah, just seeing them carry his body down to the shrine room is just such a human mo moment. You know, again, just a moment of real care and support, real love. And again, you see this at the funeral. They were the pallbearers of the coffin. So you see them carry the coffin from the uh, barn where the funeral took place. And there's a lovely... You know, very powerful image of them lowering the coffin into the ground of Banti's final resting place. So yeah, there was this sense that they were the smaller Sangha within the sort of our bigger, bigger Sangha, taking care of Banti. And of course, we saw that bigger Sangha at play as well after Banti's death. So, 
you know, we really saw how our Sangha pulled together. We saw that here in Manchester. So, you know, the day that Banti died, you know, we just really saw the centre team, the people of the centre team really pull together. People like Ratnaguna and Diane Andy, Mar Shraddha, uh, Mar Bodhi, Michael Bridie, all, you know, and many others sort of just coming together to help us all come together and support us in expressing what we needed to express at Banti's death. You know, many people in the centre team were involved in organising the coach down to Bantis funeral, uh, which, you know, was quite a logistical effort, you know. Um, Sundeep was quite key to that. So, again, you know, just people just enabling us to uh, sort of mourn his passing and take part in the events that were happening. And then sort of moving out to an even wider sense of Sangha at Adistana. It's just amazing what took place at Adistana. I was down there this, the weekend before Bantis' funeral on an order weekend. And there were just so many things going on that they were preparing for. There was the order weekend. They were preparing for the college meeting to take place. They were uh, the, the vigil, um, you know, of people coming to sit with Bantis' body had just started then and they were obviously preparing for the funeral and so it was just really beautiful to see the community at Adistana really working so well together and so harmoniously to enable all these things to happen and to um, yeah enable people to come and sit with Bhante's body. I was able to sit with Bhante's body on that weekend it was a really powerful experience um, so I felt very grateful to the Adishtana community for enabling that to happen. And then at Bhante's funeral you got this sense of all the people, again Apech Priya was one of these people, involved in the com communicating Bhante's funeral to the wider Sangha, the wider tree right in the world. So I've heard recently that I think around 60,000 people in India watched Bhante's funeral, watched the live stream of Bhante's funeral. If you go on Clear Vision's YouTube channel, you see there are, there are 10,000 views of that sort of recording of the live stream of his funeral. So you get this sense of, again, all those people. I know how hard Apecha Priya and Sangadara and Amridaya and many others worked in the week running up to Bhante's funeral in terms of just ensuring that our wider Sangha could take part in that event, even if physically they couldn't be there themselves. So yeah, there's this real glow of Sangha that just really shone through for me. You know, it really did feel like something was glowing. Um, and you got this sense of like, you know, this sort of very dedicated smaller Sangha who were looking after Banti and then taking care of his body after his death into this wider Sangha that just grew and grew and grew into the sort of the wider international tree Ratna Sangha. Yeah, I think we had a strong, deep sense of community through that, you know, one that will resonate, I think, for quite a while and will continue to affect us in many ways. Again, you know, the computer screen looking at emails. There was a, an email that Adistana sent out which sort of summed, really summed it up for me. So they said, we want to thank the Adistana community and the many, many volunteers who came and dedicated themselves so, so wholeheartedly to whatever task was needed. 
It has been like an intense 10-day retreat in many ways. And we are sure many of us feel that we have been changed in indefinable ways by our participation. Our sense of community cannot but be strengthened by this experience. Yeah, so throughout the past few weeks, the, there was one bit of my original talk that did keep coming to mind. Um, and it's a, it's a little passage from the book, from Sangharachita's book, What is the Sangha? And I was thinking, I think it kept coming into my mind for a couple of reasons. I think one of the reasons is that I think after Banti died, I was immediately started to think, oh, how, you know, what will life be like for us sort of now that, you know, now that Sangharachita has died? What will we need to do to keep his vision of the Dharma alive, his vision of our Sangha alive, what will we need to do to keep that alive? And I think one of the things I thought is that um, I think we will need to go deeper and deeper into what Banti taught. I think that will be part of my task as, 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 the Mitra, you know, as the men's Mitra convener is to try and help in whatever way I can for us to continue to go deeper into what he taught us. And I was thinking of my own experience of that. So over the past couple of years, I think um, partly because I'm leading study, there are things like re you know rereading a book like What Is the Sangha, uh, where I've I've just gone deeper and deeper into what that is, you know, what he's saying in What Is the Sangha, and I see things that I didn't see the first time round. You know, the, there's such depth in that in that book and. Um, yeah, it was like my own personal experience of what I was thinking, oh, that's part of what I'll need to be helping us to do, is to sort of go deeper into those teachings. And I think my going into, like, I think particularly going into what is the Sangha has just helped me to get much clearer about what the principles are behind my practice of Sangha and friendship. So yeah, I'm going to read a, a short passage from What is the Sangha? And I think the other thing it does is sort of lays out a little bit the principles behind what we've seen around Bhante's death, that sense of Sangha that we've seen. So here's the quote from the book. So spiritual friendship is a training in unselfishness, in egolessness. You speak to your friends kindly and affectionately <coughs> and show concern for their welfare, especially their spiritual welfare. You treat them in the way you treat yourself, that is, you treat them as being equal with yourself. You relate to them with an attitude of metta, not according to where the power between you lies. Of course, this is very difficult. It goes against the grain, because we are naturally selfish. The development of spiritual friendship is very difficult. Leading the spiritual life is very difficult. Being a Buddhist, a real Buddhist, is very difficult. We need help. And we get that help not only from our teachers, but also from one another. We can't be with our spiritual teacher all the time, but we can be with our spiritual friends all the time, or at least much of the time. We can see them regularly, perhaps live with them, perhaps even work with them. 
If we spend time with spiritual friends in this way, we will get to know them better and they will get to know us better. We will learn to be more open and honest. We will be brought up against our weaknesses. And in particular, we will be brought up against our natural tendency to operate in accordance with the power mode. If we have spiritual friends, they will try not to relate to us in this way and they will expect us to operate in the love mode as well. To relate to them with metta. Learning to relate to our friends in this way, we will gradually learn to respond to the whole world with metta, with unselfishness. It is in this way that spiritual friendship is the whole of the spiritual life. So of course I've described uh, in the events that happened around Bhante's death there's a real positive experience of Sangha where you get a real sense of service of egolessness of something much bigger at play that Bhante describes in that passage but as Bhante says you know that's not always the case maybe not often the case that we experience that you know it's maybe not often that we have that sort of level of harmony and of something bigger at play As Artavardin was saying in the Meta Bhavna, you know, the well, I can only speak for myself, but it's like, you know, I, I can often feel just wound up by people in the Sangha, you know. Um, people don't do the things that I want them to do. <laughs> you know, people make mistakes. It's like, you know, they don't agree with me, <laughs> or they're just awkward, you know. And surprisingly, people find me awkward too, you know. <laughs> You know, they find that I'm disagreeable or that I might thwart their plans too. Um, and I think, you know, particularly in a, a more intensive context, like, you know, working in the centre team or living together, you know, you do sort of experience that more and more. So Bhante in that passage is telling us that Sangha is a training. It's a way of becoming much more self-aware and of challenging and transforming our fixed sense of self. And if I'm honest, this is really an area of practice um, that I think has had the biggest impact on me over the years. You know, I've been really confronted with myself in, in terms of in my relationship with you know, friends and in the Sangha. It's as if the Sangha and my friendship just hold up this very clear mirror to me, whether I like it or not. So I can see, you know, really clearly when I get really tight around my sense of self. I really see as well the impact my actions have on other people. So I see, you know, that I can be supportive and caring and kind. But I also see that I can hurt and upset people too. I can see how clunky I can be in my communication. I can see how harsh I might be or how critical my thinking could be, or how judgmental I might be. So there's the practice of Sangha and friendship just really pulls me up against my, sort of, the ideals of practicing the precepts, of trying to practice loving-kindness. And I think quite crucially it takes me into the territory of apology and forgiveness, just quite key qualities that we need in a Sangha. We can't have a successful Sangha without apology and forgiveness. And they're qualities that I think of, um, 
yeah, experiences that I think do really show us sort of, I think, you know, when we apologise, it's like we, we, can, we can sense that we're letting go of like a tightness around ourselves, Or if we forgive that we're letting go of a sense of tightness around who we are. Now I say all that not as a stick to beat ourselves up with, it's not a stick that I use to beat myself up with, it's just that I, um, I think the more and more I practice I just realise that I just need to be as honest as I can be about the material I'm working with and I think my experience of Sangha just helps me to get clearer, more self-aware about what, I, what it is I'm working with and what I've got to work on. So yeah, Bhante is saying that Sangha and friendship is a training. So there's something that we, we sort of uh, take part in here if we choose to in the Sangha, a training that we choose to take part in. And it can help deepen our self-awareness and help us to transform ourselves. But he's also saying that that training can then ripple out into the wider world. And I think this aspect was so, so important for Bhante. I think if, again, if you just read deeply enough into Bhante, you just see the sort of, the depth of the care and the compassion for humanity that Bhante had. I think you see this particularly as, as an example in how he responded to the plight of the excellent touchables in India and continuing the work of Dr. Ambedkar. Yeah, so there's this deep compassion for the world that just shines through Sangharachita's teachings. Again, in a video I watched on YouTube, there's this interview that Sadhanandi did with Sangharachita in April this year where, uh, to mark the 50th anniversary of our order. And, and at the end of that interview, he says something like, I've sometimes almost seen a big black cloud of suffering hanging over the whole of, of, of the human race. And that it's not my suffering, or your suffering, or our suffering, or the world's suffering, it's just suffering. And it's that suffering that we should try to dispel. So you really get the sense that Bhante could see how our practice of Sangha can reach out into the world. Uh, and because in Sangha we're sort of trying to cut through that delusion that we're separate from everyone else, it can have that effect on the wider wider world. And of course we just have to look around as we just have to go to Market Street to see the many levels of suffering that that is there in the world, uh, you know. Um, like particularly in a city centre like Manchester you see, you know, people living on the streets, you see that level of suffering. Or you put on the news and you sort of hear about all the political turmoil and unrest and hear the faint echoes of nationalism and fascism sort of sounding. Or you just go online and you see the divisions and the polarisation that can be there just around our sense of difference or our sense of identity. So that cloud of suffering is very starkly there for us to see. Yeah, and I just feel for me that's part of the task after Bante's death. How do we take, how do I take that sense of the harmony that I've experienced over the past few weeks and also take the training that I'm engaged with, with my friends and in the Sangha and use it as a transformative practice um, that can ripple out into the world that I live in. 
And of course Banty's saying that that's not easy, it goes against the grain. And I can tell you, and I'm sure you all know, it isn't easy. Uh, my experience is that it isn't easy, it is really going against the grain. But personally I just feel like I have to try. And that was one of the things I think I really felt at Banty's death, is that that's what I want to try and continue, that's what I want to try and be part of. So I just want to end on a very personal note. So like I said earlier in my talk, um, I met with Banti about five weeks before he died and it was a very moving, very beautiful meeting, very human meeting actually. I was very thankful that um, for some reason, I don't know how I did it, I sort of just went and dropped any projection that I had. You know, I went with a lot of respect and reverence for him but it felt like I could meet him as another human being. Um, so yeah, it was, it was like a very beautiful meeting but there was that sort of deep sort of sense of compassion for humanity that just shone through in sort of the conversation I had with him. It's very, very subtle but it did shine through. And we talked about many things, it was only a half hour meeting but it felt like we just talked about everything really. And poignantly now, we started the conversation by talking about death and his death. So he told me that he'd recently had a conversation with his doctor who'd asked him whether he wanted to be resuscitated, if he had a heart attack or something similar. And Banty was telling me that he just felt clear that he didn't want to be resuscitated. If he died now, that would be, that would be fine. You know, he, he felt at peace with his life and felt like uh, you know, it would be fine for him to die right now. But we went on to talk about rebirth and to talk about friendship and, take, and about taking on responsibility. The main reason I went to see him was that I wanted to ask for his blessing with the Mitra convening and he did, he did give me his blessing and he also blessed a, a Rupa as well for me. So yeah, it was all very moving and very beautiful. And at the end of the meeting I, taught, I told Banti that a lot of my work this year has been uh, sort of telling the story of the Buddha. So I told him on, the, on our festivals this year that we've really concentrated on the story of the Buddha and in the men's gatherings that we've had that we've, we've looked at the story of the Buddha as well. And Banti was really pleased about that uh, because he felt there was just so much to explore in the Buddha's story. And then he made a point right at the end of the meeting of talking about um, the story of the Buddha who comes across a sick monk who's ill with dysentery and how the Buddha helps to clean him up and to take care of him and to help him. And then Sangharachita said that what happens after that was really important because the Buddha tells the other monks, he tells the other monks off for not looking after the monk who is ill and that they need to look after each other because they only have one another, they don't have family they only have one another so they need to look after each other. And Sangharaj just said to me that we could do with reflecting on that more and more and more deeply in our order and in our community and in wider society, in the wider society at large. He said that everybody could do with reflecting on that more. And his exact words were to me, were, he said that because there is no God, there is no hero, we only have each other, that's all we have. Thank you.